It's just great to have Jeff with us today. He's one of the leaders at Convoy of Hope. We have been, uh, we've worked with Convoy for many, many years in their disaster relief uh, programs. Whenever there's a disaster around the world and we come in and ask if you want to give to it, it's through Convoy that we uh, support ministry efforts to reach out in those places of the world. We are, we are doing one day today because we want to get more involved in their feeding program to feed children who don't, wouldn't, would otherwise not get food to take, help women uh, really become empowered to, uh, to have finances for their life and their families. We want to help in those things more and more. And so that's why we're doing one day today. You're going to see a little bit about that in just a moment, just before Jeff comes. Uh, we want you to watch this video that celebrates uh, the 25 years of Convoy Hope. Good morning, Calvary Church. I am Jeff Anderson. I'm honored to be with you today representing Convoy of Hope. And let's just give a hand to God for his faithfulness to us. Can we do that? Right at the beginning, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We give you the glory today. So I am so honored to be with you today and uh, getting my notes pulled up on the screen. You know, how many of you know that this church, obviously the legacy of missions and reaching people in this community, this part of the state, this part of the world, but also the incredible rich legacy of Calvary Church of sending, praying, giving, and going, I cannot think of a better way to start your missions week off than by committing an offering and committing an act of generosity to go to people that you will probably never meet in places you'll never go, but people today that are waiting for some hope in Jesus' name. And isn't mission, it, that's what missions is fun. I love the fact that Calvary makes missions fun. They break it down. Uh, this church knows how to party. So yesterday, I come in the front doors and I'm about to get bowled over by all these people like babies and mamas and strollers and moms and dads and they were rolling out the front door as I was coming in. I'm like, I think I missed something. And then I came in and I saw all the ways that the community can connect here and the other life-giving ministries that you have to reach people right here in your own state. How many of you know America needs the move of God? All right. And God still so loves the world. So while we are going to make it hard to go to hell from Springfield, Illinois, we're also doing that around the world. When you preach the gospel, God establishes a church. We send missionaries and pastors. And Convoy gets to be the one that empowers, encourages, and equips those ministries. We do that through food, water, critical supplies, and we partner with the church around the world. So um, it is good to, to know where Caitlin Schmidt is from and to meet her family. And Caitlin, thank you for all you do for Convoy of Hope. The field teams, uh, Caitlin and her team, and the incredible field teams department at Convoy take uh, some of my teams, churches throughout the country that partner with us on missions trips. And so it's really an honor to be with you today. Pastor Mark and Renee, if you would join me on the platform, how many of you know that hope needs to be delivered? It's not hope until it gets there, right? The message of the gospel isn't the gospel until it gets there on time. And so today, uh, I want to honor your church and particularly your pastors and your leadership here at Calvary Church for not only joining us many years ago, but for today being a church that casts the vision of one day to feed the world. So on behalf of Hal Donaldson, 
our whole team around the world and the people that you're going to touch, I want to give you a semi-truck. So, so those of you that collect things, be jealous. I, I can't tell you, I've had half a dozen guys come up to me after the first service like, hey, how can I get one of those trucks? I'm like, oh, they're about $10,000. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. So this is a touch point, a prayer point. Your pastors also cast the vision of Convoy in their influence. They talk about Convoy. But ladies and gentlemen, this is a relationship of trust. And so today we honor your pastors. Um, I actually did bring two, so one for each office. So give it up for your pastors. Here we go. Thank you, Jeff. Love you guys. Thank you. you. Love you guys so much. Appreciate it. The, the only thing I would say is you cannot go out here and tell people we gave Pastor a truck Sunday. Okay? You got to explain what we've been given, right? Yeah, yeah. Bless you. Thank you. Jeff, great Thank to you. Be with us, man. Thank you very much. And your pastor would say that, right? Because he's sharp. Hallelujah. This morning, uh, and, and just waking up here in your city and had a chance to swing by the Lincoln Presidential Museum yesterday and. Uh, always been a fan, obviously, one of my heroes uh, growing up, raised in Northern California, born in L.A., uh, mom and dad, dad was a Lutheran boy, mom was Pentecostal holiness, and uh, when they met, my mom said, yeah, I definitely can't go to your church, and my dad said, well, I'm definitely not going to yours. When my dad's parents immigrated through Ellis Island, they landed in Moline, Illinois, and dad was raised there, he went to school at Bradley in Peoria, got his MBA, Took the train, moved west, never came back. And uh, that's where we come into the scene. He meets my mom, and my mom said, hey, we got to find a church. And so they found a little Assemblies of God church down on 13th and Barrett in Richmond, California, that had just been planted. Russell Griffin was the pastor. And we walked in there, and I'll never forget, my dad got rocked by the Holy Spirit. My dad got, my my dad was parked on the truth his whole life. He just never accepted Jesus as his personal savior and living it out because he's still very much looking like the world. And so my mom and dad said, hey, we're coming to Jesus. Here's the cool thing about that church. The same DNA that was in that church, I feel that here in this place. That church is ascending church. It's passionate about missions. It prays. It knows how to throw a party and it's reaching its community. Do you know for the last 10 years, being at Convoy and 23, being a pastor before that, I get invited to go back to my home church and speak, and there's fewer things more humbling and honoring than sitting there speaking to a Sunday school teacher that is now 90 years old, Helen Nicholson, sitting on the front row, still has fire in her eyes. I still think I'm 10. Because they taught me the gospel. They challenged me to live for Jesus. They gave me a heart for the world. They would always talk about God so loves this world. And so I just want to thank you. I feel at home. I'm so grateful for this church and what I'm sensing today. When our trucks roll, lives change. And so you're helping deliver the hope. There was a mom who was fixing a pancake breakfast for her two boys. We'll call them Kevin and Scotty. And uh, the boys were sitting there, mom was making the pancakes, and they began to argue over who's going to get the first pancake. Typical boys and typical mom. She said, I'm going to teach a moral lesson here. And she said, now boys, wait a second. If Jesus were sitting here right now at this table, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. 
So the boys just kind of sat staring at each other, stunned like, ugh, mom. So the two boys sat silent, and the five-year-old Kevin just turned to his younger brother, Scotty, and said, okay, Scotty, you be Jesus. (laughs) So to kick off your missions week, you're not only empowering the gospel, but this is the question and the challenge to choose to be like Jesus when the pressure is on, to use your position, your place, your resources, the power in your hands to bless and serve others and consider them before yourself. You know what missions does? Missions is the spiritual life insurance of every church in America. Every church in America that's growing has a couple things in common. But one of them is missions both locally and globally. And so Calvary Church, I commend you for your commitment down through the decades of seeing, making sure this gospel is heard by the rest of the world who have not heard. So One Day to Feed the World on the screen is an initiative where you, we encourage people to take one day of their working year, one 240th of your working life, and invest that and say, today I'm investing a day of my life to help the poor and suffering, the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely. And that is what One Day to Feed the World does. It comes in, it helps us feed kids, train women, empower farmers, reach Americans, respond to disasters, and go to small towns in America, bringing the love and life of Jesus Christ. So One Day to Feed the World really is the bread, uh, the butter, on the bread at Convoy of Hope, and we're grateful today for all that you're doing. In the last two and a half decades, Convoy has served 100 million people in over 123 nations, all 50 U.S. states, and it was 25 years ago that the dream for Convoy of Hope was born. It began with small grocery and supplies distributors from the back of pickup trucks and U-Haul trailers, and now 25 years later, More than 100 people have received help and hope in Jesus' name. This is our 18th year to be a four-star charity navigator, which means we're the top 1% of spiritual and fiscal accountability. So we really take seriously every dollar that is given to Convoy of Hope. We know how to steward a dollar. And uh, I'm happy to tell you that 90 cents of every dollar goes to program around the world. We have a 10% overhead and admin fee. Pastor Mark mentioned this, but I'll highlight this. Two weeks ago, Convoy of Hope celebrated 200,000 children in our feeding initiative. For many of those children, the only hot meal that they'll receive. We give God the glory for that. The best part uh, at Convoy of Hope is when we get to introduce people to Jesus. Obviously, the justice work and the humanitarian piece of Convoy is critical. It paves the way, it opens the door for the gospel. But nearly 400,000 documented conversions to Jesus Christ in our 25-year history. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a miracle. When somebody places their faith in Jesus Christ, don't you think? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Convoy runs into those hard places, the forgotten places, to help those that simply cannot help themselves. On the screen are a few pictures of our disaster services. We're grateful for a ministry called Speed the Light. If uh, any of you have heard of Speed the Light, given to Speed the Light, we love Speed the Light because they help us acquire 
vehicles, trucks, equipment, not planes. In fact, we don't own that plane. That plane was a, a man that owns a, a company in the Bahamas. He heard we were passing out food and water, partnering with the church. He said, use my planes. And so, so far, he's given us about 65 loads to the outer islands in the Abacos and the Bahamas. We're responding in Puerto Rico to the earthquake. We just finished up Hurricane Maria work in the last two years. And of course, the fires in Australia, resourcing and partnering with people on the ground. That shot is a drone shot of uh, the Abaco, the Abaca Islands. And uh, you could just see, it just looked like it was ground down uh, by a lawnmower. And you can see Puerto Rico, the strength of that storm as well. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. Either turn them on or open them up. Luke 10, 25. And I'm going to use this kind of as a base for the stories and the challenge for your one day today. Many of you have heard this story. It's probably one of the most preached and I think least practiced or understood passages in the Bible. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, the parable of the Good Samaritan. One day an expert in religious law stood up to Jesus to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with this story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, about an 18-mile stretch of land, uh, very treacherous to get through, very dangerous. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. One of my favorite verses in the Bible... Verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins saying, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Lord, I thank you for today. I ask you to bless your word. Let the truth of God stick in our hearts. Give us courage to walk it out. Lord, bring increase and enlarge our hearts for the things that are on your heart today. People that need Jesus people that need encouragement, people who need food, people who need clean water. Lord, today we commit it all to you and put it in your hands. The results are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Two great stories in the Bible that I love reflect God's heart for people. Prodigal son is the unconditional love of God, and the good Samaritan, the unselfish love. And today we're going to look at that. Within this story of the good Samaritan, there's four individuals who are called into question regarding their motives and compassion capacity. So, if you Google good Samaritan, 2.5 million hits and results turn up. 
Things like the Good Samaritan Hospital, Retirement Center, churches, nonprofits, and other agencies and ministries. There's even a Good Samaritan law designed to protect those who choose to help the injured or ill without fear of legal repercussions for unintentional injury. When Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, who could have foreseen that name becomes universally synonymous with kindness, gratitude, and compassion? The Good Samaritan. It's a hypothetical parable with real places and real people. These were real cities, a real journey, and some scholars believe there may have been a real midway in or hostile that Jesus referred to in this story. It was an 18-mile journey, as I mentioned, with a tragic twist. A traveler found himself devastated, helpless, and hopeless. So let's take a look at the cast of people. The first person is found in verse 25. See if there's some takeaway thoughts about compassion and how we can express it, get involved with what God's doing. The expert in the law, the lawyer, the attorney, this guy represents someone who only saw compassion as a subject to explore. He questioned Jesus. He knew the answers to all of his questions. Do you know anybody like this? They're just always right. <laughs> and and if, if they were wrong, if they're just never wrong. And they have an opinion about everything, very much like God. And God has an opinion about everything. But right off the bat, this man's motive, compassion wasn't something he was really interested in participating in. It was a subject he wanted to discuss, debate, possibly even try to challenge the way Jesus was showing compassion. I'll never forget my first church. I'm 30 years old. I've been a youth pastor for 10 years. Our first church, we had 30 people in a sanctuary that sat 85. And my first Sunday, I managed to preach the congregation down to 20. It was amazing. I didn't know what church growth was. I just knew that we were leading worship, preaching, doing Sunday school. My wife was the children's pastor and ran the nursery. And it was miserable. But God called us. And we said, God, you have to bring the increase. And we're just giving it all. Our girls are running around the church when they were young. And I'll never forget Linda. Linda, who met me at the door. Because that's what you do. You greet people. You're friendly. You're kind. This is a friendly, kind church. And that's what you try to do to put Jesus first. And Linda grabbed me at the door on her way out. And she said, I don't like the way you're doing things. And I said, Linda, I don't like the way you're not doing things. <laughs> and it was in that moment that I quickly realized, whenever you try to do something great for God, the critics come out of the woodworks, right? Or when tough times hit or trials hit or hardships hit, people say, see, I told you so. My dad calls those the foremost damaging words. I told you so. Well, this guy was a subject he wanted to discuss. They criticized methods and decisions without getting personally involved. Always critical, never all in, never satisfied, really not getting it, so not like Jesus. It's interesting that Christ refused to let this man define who a neighbor was from his so-called intellectual perspective. Cast, number, cast members number two, the robbers. These guys saw the tragedy of the situation for their own gain. You know anybody like that? It's like, hey, just take advantage of the situation. Obviously, these people were uh, bad dudes. They took advantage of the situation for their own good. Third set of cast members, the priest and the Levite. 
They didn't want to get involved. They, did, they wanted to avoid the situation altogether. So the first step, uh, the first question which the priest and Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reverses the question. And by the way, Jesus always reverses the question. He'll turn it upside down. And when the Good Samaritan reverses the question, he says, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And that's the difference. You can live that life based on yourself and what's going to happen to me, or you can live your life based upon others and say, what's going to happen if I don't help this guy? What's going to happen to him? And missions really is that step of sacrifice so other people can hear the gospel, so other people can receive help and live a better life, but also making the kingdom of God bigger. Where were these priests and, and the Levite going? They were on their way to Jerusalem. In those days, the priests were divided into two dozen groups. Each group served the Lord in the temple at Jerusalem once a week, two times a year. So they served a week, go home, come back, later serve another week. But the priests didn't know whether or not the man was dead or alive. And they had ceremonial laws, certain laws which said, you cannot touch a dead man. Maybe, some scholars believe, maybe the guy thought he was dead, so he's like, I'm not going to mess with him. I can't touch him. If he was dead and the priest touched him, he would be considered ceremonially unclean and have to skip the cycle of serving the Lord in the temple and would lower his rank. Getting involved would have interrupted his agenda and inconvenienced his life. It would have cost him something. Why did God tell priests never to touch the dead? Because in Israel, uh, obviously when you realize that when he gave the law, Israel had just come out of Egypt, and Egypt was a culture and society whose religion centered on death. The pyramids reflect that today. The priests there celebrated, and it was a testimony to the fact that the vocation of a person's life was to prepare for dead, and then the priesthood of Egypt was designed to minister to the dead. But Jesus comes on the scene and says this, it's going to be on life now. We're not going to focus on death. Everywhere Jesus goes, life comes. Amen? Whenever Jesus does something, he brings life. Jesus said, I'm not going to allow you to have elaborate funerals or attend by priests with long periods of mourning. Your priests are going to minister to the living. So that day, the priest and Levite passed by. And Jesus knows what he's doing in telling this story. He's engaging and two things appear to be contradictory, that ceremonial law and the moral law. And Jesus basically said, focus on people. We know God's plan is to redeem people. Amen? I'll say that again. We know God's plan is to redeem people. Amen? That's why we do missions. It's his top priority. In fact, missions is God's mission. And it should be ours to bring redemption to people who have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. So Jesus' stand is clear. Um, it's on the internal rather than the external application. So here's the deal. Love is the foundation of missions, and I love the theme, compelled by love all week long. Love is a command. It will cost you. It's compassionate. And for the redemption of people, the individual, the family, the nation, God says whosoever will may come. And, and be saved and call upon the Lord. Luke 10, 27, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
There's a cross. Uh, there's cross. Actually, there's a really big cross out front, if you haven't noticed, if you're new here. And as I drove up, I wasn't staying far, and I saw the cross, and the cross was the, my trajectory. That was my point of contact. So we're at my hotel and over by Shields, I could see the top of that cross, and I thought, as long as I keep my eyes on the cross, I'll get there. So the cross has two beams. One is vertical, one is horizontal. The vertical call is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's your first call. Love Jesus, know him. But the second commandment is part of, that second is part of the great commandment, and that is the horizontal beam, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so today, when you talk about loving God, a lot of times you're, you're judged on, in your love for God and how you show love to others. Showing love to people. And how many of you know, Christians, I mean, we can just be sweet as can be and we can just be mean as can be. And, and, and sometimes we just say, hey God, I'm, I, I choose to love the people that I like to love. And I'm just not really, I don't feel a whole lot of love for that person. You don't have that option. It's kind of like being born in your family. I didn't get to pick the older brother that beat me up soon after I was born. I had an older brother, and I didn't get to pick my younger sister. Why? You're, all, you're born into the family, and you don't get to choose your brothers and sisters, but you do encourage them and love them and support them. And so the vertical and the horizontal call is, is very real. Moved to Missouri 10 years ago, and was moving in, and a neighbor a nosy neighbor actually came over, and we were talking, and, and they're good friends now. I remind them of this conversation. And they said, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. Jerry lives two doors down. I'm like, Jerry? They said, yeah, every neighborhood's got a Jerry. I'm like, tell me about Jerry. And they said, well, he's the neighborhood crank, man. He's not a happy camper. He doesn't mow his lawn, doesn't celebrate Christmas, Halloween, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, anything. He's just the neighborhood grouch. I'm like, Awesome. Thanks for the intel. And I'm like, probably not going to be very helpful. So I, I just went on. We lived there about a year that summer. I noticed that his lawn was a little long. I had a new riding lawnmower. And every redneck's dream is to just ride your lawnmower down the middle of the street to the neighbor's house. And that's what I did in Ozark, Missouri. Got to his house. I mowed his lawn. I don't know why. Don't ask me. I just mowed his lawn, and I loved doing it, and I trimmed it. I brought my weed whacker down there just as I was leaving. I see the door swing open, and this guy standing at the door, and then he steps off the porch, and I shut my lawnmower off, and he comes up to me, and he goes, who are you? And I said, I'm your neighbor, two doors down. He goes, you're that guy that works for Convoy, huh? I'm like, oh, yeah, you heard? He goes, yeah, I saw the truck drop off all your stuff. And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, what are you doing? And I said, I just came by to mow your lawn just to be a good neighbor. He goes, wait right here. And I'm thinking, man, I have no weapons, no sidearms. I have nothing. <laughs> Concealed carry, nothing, not even a Boy Scout. And I'm thinking, this guy's going to go ninja on me. He comes out with a green apple and a tall Coors Light. And he said, do you want a beer? I said, no. He goes, you want the apple? I said, yeah. He hands me the apple. He cracks the beer. And for the next two hours on his porch, the neighbor that everybody said don't talk to dumps the truck about his life. He moved from Illinois. He moved to Ozark, Missouri, he and his wife. He is estranged from his kids. 
He works three jobs. He's 68 years old. And he's one of the loneliest, nicest neighbors I have ever met. And that was the guy that everybody said, hey, be careful to Jerry. Well, there might be a reason he's cranky. There might be a reason he feels alienated. I sat there, and I felt so bad. I thought, oh, man, God, thank you. And this is cool. He didn't accept Jesus. I didn't pray for him. He shook my hand, and, and then he said this. It's the most haunting words I've heard in a very long time. And he said, you are the best neighbor I've ever had. Fired up my lawnmower, got halfway back to my house, just broke in my heart. I pulled into my garage, and I said, God, help me be a better neighbor. I don't feel like I earned any brownie points that day. I felt, I felt so bad for this man. Guess what? He's my new nosy neighbor friend now, because every time he sees my truck in my driveway, I get a knock at the door, and he's like, Jeff, you all right? I said, yeah. He goes, where you been? I said, I was just over in Russia. He's like, oh, okay. Is that good? Yeah, okay, well, uh, let me know if you need anything. And then he turns around and walks back to his house. He checks on me. Now, he's my neighbor. He's my new neighbor. I thought of this. I thought of the challenge for me to live it out as I travel and speak on behalf of Convoy, and yet God was saying, no, I'm going to teach you something right here where you live, to be someone that can get involved, to be someone that can help their neighbor. And so this morning, I want to focus on Psalm 41 as we begin to land. It says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him, protects him, and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies, and the Lord sustains him on his sickbed, and in his illness, you restore him to full health. This just tells me that God has a sweet spot for the poor and suffering and people that don't know him. And part of missions is to, that we can make their life better, but also make the kingdom of God bigger. Ezekiel 16, 49, another very unpopular verse. I know this because I preach this just about everywhere I go, this particular verse. It says, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned, and they did not help the poor and needy. I thought God judged Sodom and Gomorrah for other sins, but that's what angered the heart of God. It's that we didn't think about others. We were overfed in our abundance and peace and prosperity and power. They were unconcerned. So here's some stories of some people who one day to feed the world will directly change their life. Your one day has changed their lives. At a Convoy of Hope, we believe hope begins with a meal. These are some of the places that we work, and these are some of the images of the beneficiaries of Convoy and your one day. These first slides are kids at the Good Samaritan Orphanage outside of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I'm standing there with a team of pastors uh, snapping this picture and then looking down the hall and seeing seven grown men weeping, bawling like babies. It was awesome. And uh, when the kids stood and prayed the prayer over their food, they thanked God for convoy, and they wanted the food to keep coming. And then they sat down, and it was quiet for about 10 minutes because they were hungry. And all we heard was metal spoons scraping on plastic plates. And they ate everything. There were no leftovers. They ate it all. 
They giggled and laughed when they went up to the water purification with their little cups or canteens and they would fill up the water and they would hold it like it was gold and they would go back to their table and they would sip it slowly and we watched them enjoying their bodies being nourished and hydrated. And then got their dishes washed and they ran out to the playground and played. I turned to the teacher and I said, this is wonderful. She goes, oh yeah, this is a very special day. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, this is the first day in three years we've had recess. And I said, I beg your pardon? She said, yeah. She said, normally we take the 45, 40 minute period and the kids nap because they're sickly. Their noses are runny. Their eyes are matted. They're, they're disheveled. They're malnourished. And we just let them nap in the cool of the classroom. But she said, Jeff, since the food started coming, the kids have energy. They have, their eyes are bright. And she goes, last week we broke up a fight. <laughs> now, that's not a teacher's answer to prayer. Like, oh God, help my kids to be so healthy they'll get scrappy on the playground field. But that was something really big for her because she said these kids are, now have energy. And this is what she said. She said, they're like your kids. I said, yes, ma'am, they are. They are like my kids. And it was in that moment that I realized the incredible gift of bringing help and hope in Jesus' name through a simple meal, through a glass of water. I couldn't believe it. I was struggling that week. I had had an opportunity to, to go back into pastoral ministry. And I was struggling being away from my family. I was struggling traveling and, and, and really doing my job. I said, God, you know, I think I want to go back into pastoring or just let me be an associate pastor at some cool church. And uh, I had a couple of opportunities. And when I was there, the Lord just shut those down and said, would you like to do this for the rest of your life because I could use you? And I said, I will. I'll be advocate for kids. I'll be advocate for people that don't know Jesus. And so, you know, those 300,000 kids I mentioned, I work for them. I work for them. And they count on us. 16,000 children perish daily because they don't have nutritious food and clean water. 8,000 adults daily. Nearly half of the earth hasn't heard about Jesus and so those two things keep us up at night. One, people dying because of starvation and people dying without Jesus. That does something to me. I hope that does something to you. These are some of the stories. Pastor Omega, uh, one of our great farmers in Haiti. Next slide. You guys can just roll through these. You guys are amazing. The uh, gardening in Honduras. This is Elena in uh, Nicaragua. She was raised at the garbage dump there and uh, for the first 10 years of her life. And then Elena took us back to the place where she was raised and where she lived. This little dude, as I was walking across the playground, uh, stole my identification badge that we all have at Convoy. Caitlin has one. And it's called a key fob, and it opens doors and things, and some open other doors, and some open everything. And what, what he didn't know is when he stole my key fob, and clipped it on his belt. He freaked out. I, at the end of the day, I saw him, and he came up to me with some of his little uh, amigos, and we gave him some suckers, and we took this selfie. And then he turned to me and said, Me amo is Jeffrey. My name is Jeffrey. And he wigged out when he saw his name on my name tag. 
And as he hands my name tag back, I just pushed it back, and I clipped it on his belt, and I said, it's yours, dude. What I didn't tell him, it is opens all the doors and warehouses for Convoy of Hope around the world. <laughs> and so I get back, and HR has to give me a new name tag, and the story was that Anderson got mugged, and he lost his name tag, when really I gave it to an eight-year-old kid. <laughs> that eight-year-old boy took the piece of gum, and stuck it on the back of the name tag and pressed it on his bedpost. And his teacher told me the last time I was there that every single day, Jeffrey prays for Convoy of Hope. And he prays for you. And I just thought, Lord, only you would do that for me. This is one of the women in our women's empowerment program. She graduated. She's so proud of her home. She's able to have a business. She provides for her family and has a little money in her pocket for her future. Next slide. Just some happy, healthy kids. And that's what I want you to see. Your one day has changed their every day. This next quote, and I, let, I close with this. Billy Graham said this, one of my favorite uh, quotes from him. He said, one reason God allows poverty and suffering is so that his followers can demonstrate Christ's love mercy, and comfort. For this reason alone, we should be about the Father's business, pouring his compassionate love into aching and parched souls that have nowhere to turn, no one to love, and no one to care. Let them see Jesus in us. Great words from the late, great Billy Graham. This next image uh, is something that I have not done before. Uh, I wanted to show you this image because this is not a convoy initiative. This, this picture is 25 years old. This is one of, the 100, one of the 100 most influential images of all time. It's a picture of a young boy on his way to a feeding station uh, not far away. It's in Sudan. He's so malnourished and moving so slow that he just literally folds up on himself. And in the background, a vulture is waiting to attack. This photographer took the picture. He would shoo the vulture away. His hopes were to maybe get the vulture to spread its wings so it have a more uh, uh, powerful image. He would shoo the vulture away. The man wanted to do good, but he just wasn't sure. He captured the pick, and he waited, and then the vulture moved closer. He shooed it away, but the vulture came back. He was told, the photographer, was not to respond or touch the people in this part of the world because of disease and conditions uh, that were just deplorable. So he did nothing. He took the picture. The photographer went back to the New York Times, published this photo, and in 1994, he won the Pulitzer Prize for this picture. Four months later, he chose to end his life. He told his three colleagues called the Bang Bang Brothers, they were some of the top photographers in the world. He said, I can no longer handle seeing the devastation and wreckage and no hope. That same year, another guy was on the West Coast and God gave him an idea about how to bring hope. His name is Hal Donaldson and he's the CEO and president of Convoy. And he actually got in the fight and he got in this war of making life better for the poor and suffering. But you see, every one of us have a chance to be successful in life. And by the way, this child lived. It made it to the feeding station. And this child lived through his teen years. But success today 
is about you. I hope all of you in this room have a chance to be successful in something, whatever it is. I hope you are. I hope you do. And you glorify God in whatever it is he's called you to do. But success is about you. Success is about me. But significance is about others. And missions is about significance. Missions is about a church getting into God's heart to say, Lord, if I give my one-day offering, I know you're going to touch lives. If I do a faith promise next Sunday, if I soak in, I love what uh, Pastor Renee said, just immerse yourself and saturate yourself in missions. Get God's heart. And this picture is in my office now, and I look at it, and it's not fun. It's, it was a horrible time in this part of the world, in, in Africa. But I, took, I thought that man took the picture. He had great success. One of the top honors any photographer could have, but obviously it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for him. And it's not enough, sir or ma'am, for you to be successful. The way to truly be successful is to give significance to other people. It's to encourage them, to let them hear the gospel, to let them just live. We may have 30, 40, 50 years. Well, I don't, I don't think I have 50. I might have 30 or 40 years. But you can't forget the sense of urgency because it's not your timeline, it's theirs. A hurting, lost world that needs hope and help. They have days, moments, and minutes. But it wasn't worth it to help to pick them up, to give them a hug, to tell them about Jesus, for goodness sake. Well, he won a Pulitzer Prize, but what does it matter? What does it matter? The single greatest tragedy in life is to look back and realize you were successful in things that didn't matter. So today, do something. As Mother Teresa told Hal, everyone can do something. And everyone in this room can do something. And then you have the Good Samaritan. He saw the need. He took a risk. He got involved. And love is a verb. It's not a noun. And so today, he opened his eyes. He opened his heart. He opened his hands. And no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he had good intentions. But we remember him because he acted on this. And so this morning, as we wrap up, it says that he used his own wine, his own donkey. He probably missed some work. It inconvenienced him, and it cost him. But here's the interesting part of this story. Two silver coins represents two days' wages. And he went to the innkeeper, and he said, Hey, here's a guy. He was stripped, beaten, and left for dead. I bandaged him up. He's going to live. He needs a safe place. You need to feed him and take care of him. Here's two silver coins. If the cost of having this guy here exceeds that. I'll be back in a short time and I'll pay you the difference. He had a trusted partner. He had a trusted innkeeper that would take care of broken, bandaged, beaten people. This morning, we still have devastated, helpless, and hopeless people. And while Jesus was the original Good Samaritan, today, it's you. You are the Good Samaritan. Convoy of hope is the innkeeper. And today, while Jesus teaches us, hey, my heart is moved to respond to the poor and suffering, for 25 years, Convoy has served as the trusted innkeeper of this story. 
positioning ourselves, setting up shop, providing an in for you to partner so that the poor and suffering and the lost can find help and hope in Jesus' name. So the secret to compassion is showing love. The motivation is grace, and the result is being more like Christ. Well, this is a family that means a lot to me. Uh, Sitting on the couch, shot in 1969, this mom and dad, four kids, The babysitter showed up to watch the four kids. Mom and dad were on their way to a church business meeting. They pastored a little church in Northern California. On the way to that business meeting, this man and woman were struck head-on by a drunken driver going in the opposite lane of traffic and instantly killed the man on the left and left the mom broken, uh, and she was in the hospital for nearly a year. Deacons and elders were notified. They went to the home knocked on the door, the babysitter answered the door, and they informed these four kids that your dad is in heaven and your mom is fighting for her life. Well, of course, the trajectory of these kids' lives changed at that moment. A law enforcement officer stood on the porch and said, would anybody take these kids? If not, we're going to have to take them down to the station. And one man raised his hands. Bill and Levada Davis lived in a single-wide trailer down the street and took in those four kids. Ten people living in a single wide, no problem. Rotate from the couch to the bed to the floor. At least that's the story I'm told. And they couldn't wait till they got to sleep on the bed. Well, those kids were at a critical point in their life. And the man, Mr. Davis, began to speak words of life and encouragement and say, God's going to use this. I don't know how. And he loved them and, and shepherded them and fathered them. And all those kids grew up, became successful. And one day they decided to go back to a neighborhood with a truckload full of groceries and knock on doors and say, thank you for serving us in our time of need. That little boy is this man. His name's Hal Donaldson. He's the president and CEO of Convoy of Hope. And now you know why we give away bags of groceries and shoes at nearly every event. Because neighbors would come by with bags of groceries and casseroles and take the boys and girls shopping and Susan shopping for shoes. Not the $3 pair of Kenny Converse, the $5 pair of Kenny Converse. Amen. And if you know what I'm talking about, just wave at me. Okay. Can you imagine buying a pair of shoes for five bucks anymore? It's like add a few zeros. I have three kids, two granddaughters. I understand that. But this family, one act of kindness, one person, one family reaching out, made a world of difference. You are that good Samaritan. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope you enjoy this next story. Pastor's going to come and receive the offering. This is a young lady named Kate. I had the chance to meet her about 10 years ago in the Philippines. Her, her, mom, her mom and dad um, go to a particular church right at the feeding center, and Kate was in the school. She began to receive food and nutrition, and, and the mom came and said, we want to take you back to our house. And so they took us to their little hut. And in that moment, I realized that Kate's story probably needed to be told. So I'm going to let her tell you her story. What a moving story. In just a moment, the ushers are going to come, and we're going to receive uh, our our one-day offering. Uh, I hope that you prayed about this. I hope you've talked about this with your family. I hope you shared this, uh, what you're going to do with your children as you have children what you want to do to make a difference in the world and how your family's going to make a difference. If you haven't, you can still talk to them today and tell them, this is what we did. 
And this is why we did it. We're talking about these things with the children. We've encouraged them to be a part of one day in some way themselves. And uh, we just want to make a difference in the world. You know, I was thinking after the service, first service today, this is a very important day for somebody in our world today. A day that may be a little tiny sacrifice for us becomes a great day that changes a life today. And we get a chance to be that good Samaritan and say, God, we're not going to ignore what's going on in our world. We're going to do something to make a difference. Uh, in, the, in, the, in Proverbs, it says this, he who is generous will be blessed. This is a kingdom of God principle. A kingdom of God law. God says, he who is generous will be blessed for he gives some of his food to the poor. None of us are going to go without food today because of what we give in this offering. But somebody's going to get food because of what we give in this offering. What a great thing, amen? Father, we just lift up the needs of the world and we're so grateful for all you've given to us and how you've blessed us. And we pray that today you'd use us to bless the world. Take what we give and bless it and multiply it. Give Convoy of Hope wisdom and blessing. And we pray that this number would grow from 300,000 to 400,000 to 500,000 every day so quickly that, Father, even Convoy is, is just sees your hand moving mightily in it. That our churches around this country, Father, get serious about helping those in need. We know many of them are. Let many more join. And let us be a church that wants to minister to our community and that wants to minister to the world and diligently follows the opportunities you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.